You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. You are listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Arif Khan, and I'm presenting a special edition of the Pathway to Peace show here live from the Jalsa site. Joining me as ever is my uh, co-host, Sufyan Faruqi. Sufyan, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome to Jalsa. Welcome, Salam. It feels like we're we're on a road show here at the in the Hampshire countryside. Uh, in the middle of nowhere, they've built a tent city for the 56th, I believe, annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the UK. I'm going to start by mentioning a little bit about the history of Jalsa Salana. Uh, this is taken from an article written by Khulud Tahir Munir of the UK. Uh, just to set the scene before we get into the content of our show. In the show today, we're going to talk about the importance of Jalsa, what position it plays in, in terms of Islamic tradition, how it links back to core teachings of, of Islam, uh, and also the purpose, blessing and the objectives, along with sharing some anecdotes and stories about some of the unique features we have here at Jalsa. But let me start with the history. So from a mere 25 people who attended the first ever Jalsa Salana in Qadiyan, to an unparalleled turnout of more than 30,000 in recent years, pre-COVID in the UK. The convention of Jalsa Salana has exceeded all expectations and achieved unbeatable milestones in the past 125 years. This tremendous progress is truly the product of the divine help from Allah the Almighty and the bountiful blessings of Khilafat. Today, many of us are accustomed to the various Jalsas that take place around the world, but let us take back a journey to look where it all began, which was in, in May of 1891, where just 75 people were present in this remote and unknown town of Qadian in India. Under divine inspiration, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, announced that he was the promised Messiah and the Imam Mahdi awaited by all Muslims. Later on that same year, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, decided to hold the first Jalsa Salana, and from then on, the divine conventions of Jalsa began. The promised Messiah stated in Asmani Fasla, the heavenly decree, that the major aim of this gathering is that the sincere members of the Jamaat should be able to derive religious benefit. And at the same time, they should acquire more knowledge and advance in their God realization. The first Jalsa in 1891 was attended by 75 individuals. Eventually, throughout the years, Jalsa grew and began to attract large crowds across all parts of India and Southern Asia. Following the independence of Pakistan in 1947, the majority of Ahmadi Muslims migrated, establishing Rabwa in Pakistan as a new headquarters of the community. The last Jalsa before partition in Qadian in 1946 saw a crowd of nearly 40,000 attendees. Now, Sufyan, bringing this forward to, you know, our experiences in the UK and, and you know, in our lifetimes, I mean, Jalsa, we've seen that, uh, you know, exceed the bounds of what Islamabad, the previous location in, in the UK, could hold. And, and we've moved to a bigger, huge site now where we are able to cater with this massive event. And uh, it's been amazing to see in our own lifetime how Jalsa every year, despite you know putting the pandemic to one side, let's say it's always grown larger and larger with each year. Indeed it has, Arif, as you, as you mentioned, from the humble beginnings of, of just over 70 people attending the first Jalsa Solana to today, where we see uh, we're expecting over 30,000 here just from the UK uh, alone. So that's just incredible when you when you think about the expanse and the institutional Jalsa and how it's just flourished. And, and it's not just here in the UK, but around the world. We see smaller conventions happening around the world. Some countries, even they have bigger conventions. You look at 
the annual convention in Ghana uh, and Nigeria, they have close to 50,000, 60,000 people yeah. coming. So each and every year we see Uh, the institution of JELS, and that is, in fact, why it's called an institution, because it was started by the, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian. But today we see members in over 200 countries holding this same JELSA in their respective countries, following that very first JELSA that you mentioned there at the top of the show, where there was just 75 people. Let's relate to this, to the Islamic philosophy now, because... Although Jalsa is something established by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, it actually links to this idea, which is core in Islam, of getting people together, the congregational element, the social element, if you like. And I wanted to just discuss with you, if we just reflect from an Islamic teaching, there's multiple times in the day, the week and the year, where as Muslims, we're instructed to get together. And to start with, let's start with the most basic from a daily point of view. You know, every five daily prayers, you know, every Muslim... Yeah. Uh, praise five times a day yeah. and even those we're told stressed upon us to try and do those in congregation try and come to the mosque yeah. so every day we have that communal aspect as well yeah definitely I mean every aspect of your life Islam is very much focused on the whole social aspect if you think about it right and we're always taught from a very early age that there's so much more blessing in praying in congregation and it's a beautiful example because each and every day you're you're kind of forced to pause from from your individual work and what you're doing and go in with your brothers and, and sisters and your children. You're encouraged to take them to the mosque if you live near a mosque and indulge in an act of worship together and in congregation, the strength of that prayer becomes so much more. And on a practical note, Arif, I find it a lot easier, you know, when you go to the mosque yeah. for the intention of praying and everyone else is praying. And even, even here at Jalsa, you know, if you're, if you're involved in some duty at Jalsa, Solana, uh, and you, you feel kind of awkward when, when you're not praying with the congregation, yeah. it almost feels a bit odd. So seeing everybody praying in congregation kind of reminds you that, okay, it's time for prayer. I need to go and make the prayer. And, and this is on a much larger scale. So, You know, that, that reminder is constantly there where you see people praying, you, you kind of get in the habit. And even my youngest uh, of three, you know, he's come this year for, for Jalsa and yeah. he sees people praying and, and, and the younger generation gets that habit from seeing their elders performing these acts of worship. And I mean, to anybody who sees 30,000 people bowing their heads in one large tent, Uh, it's just an amazing sight. It's it's got to have an impact on on the youngest of of human beings. And it's to do with I think I was reflecting on this on the uh, just prior to the show as well. It's the environment you create, isn't it? It's that kind yeah. of. We talk a lot about peer pressure. We talk a lot about you know, influence of children on and others and adults and things. Normally in a negative way, but if you look at Jalsa, all of the influences are positive. Yeah. Uh, as you just mentioned, children see others doing a good example, and that in, you know, they're inclined that way as well. Building on the daily worship then as well. So Islam also talks about the Friday prayer, the Jummah, where again, Muslims are instructed to, to gather as well. There's again a social, a community aspect of Jummah as well, which is mm. once a week also come together and listen to, listen to a sermon at a place of worship. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, like the five daily prayers. So you have the five daily prayers as a daily reminder. You're encouraged to do that in congregation. And even during the pandemic, you know, His Holiness told us to perform the prayers at home mm. in congregation. And when it comes to the Friday prayer, the same thing. There was a period of time where we couldn't go to our mosques, where we couldn't hold jalsas like the one we're holding uh, over these three days in the Hampshire countryside. And we were instructed to to have 
the Friday prayer in congregation at home with our family, with our children. And what we what what came out of that is just this habit, again, going back to our youth, going back to our children. Our children didn't, while they missed out on going to the mosque, I think a lot about my three-year-old who, for the large majority of his life so far, he's been stuck at home. Yeah. But he wouldn't have understood what Juma was or what Friday prayers were if we didn't put in that habit of, of doing the Friday prayer at home, even during the course of the pandemic. Now, once things have opened up, we can resume those activities of going to the mosque for Friday prayer. Uh, but again, as, as you're emphasizing here, Arif, it's about coming together. And there's so many opportunities where Islam emphasizes yeah. it. And the more and more you think about it, I mean, even when you think about the raising of funds for, for mosques and whatnot, oftentimes uh, the whole congregation is brought together and everybody gives a small bit and, and the small bit makes a larger whole. Yeah, absolutely. And other special occasions, for example, the, the celebrations of Eid that take yeah. place twice a year in the Islamic calendar. Again, there are elements there where everyone comes together for Eid prayer, uh, which was a subject of one of our previous shows, how yeah. there's an additional prayer on that day. It's not five daily prayers on that day. There's a sixth as well. Um, and His Holiness mentioned that women should also come and attend uh, you know, the Eid prayer. Um, on that specific Eid. So I think it's there's an emphasis, isn't there, on congregational worship and, and coming together as a community. And I think one thing I find fascinating is that we talk about Islam as the culmination of religious evolution, really. So mm. you've got all these different uh, philosophies. And in other philosophies, you have individual worship. Even if you think about Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he spent time alone in Cave Hira before he started to get revelation. So what I find fascinating is Islam doesn't just say you should only pray together or you should only pray alone but a mixture, a combination, a coming together of the benefits of all of that. Yeah. So even the daily prayers, there's elements that you do on your own mm-hmm. and there's elements that you do at the mosque. There's elements that you do late at, you know, at night before the Fajr prayers, the Tahajjud prayer, for example, is done very much on your own often. Um, but there's, there's a balance uh, of the best of both worlds, if you like, of, of prayer on your own, but also the benefit of coming together. Yeah, definitely. Islam always advocates for the middle path. I think that may even be a hadith. You know, always take the middle path. Yeah. And, and even when you think about religious evolution, you know, I always like to make the, I don't know if it's an analogy, or but a good example is where the Prophet Moses kind of taught, you know, eye for an eye, because that was the religion for his time. Uh, then uh, Jesus came and he said, turn the other cheek. So they're polar opposites, yeah. right? And then Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, came and kind of said, you know, you take the eye for an eye route when that's applicable. You take the turn the other cheek when that's applicable. He said the turning the other cheek is is probably better because it's more of a sign of for, forgiveness. Uh, but we see that in in all of Islamic teachings when it comes to the worship, right? It's better to pray in, in congregation where it's supposed to be prayed in congregation. But then Islam does offer the flexibility of being able to pray alone. But then also, as you mentioned, prayers like the Hajjit, the early supererogatory prayer uh, that many Muslims make on a voluntary basis and not part of the five. It's just an extra prayer that, that Muslims choose to make very, very early before the Fajr prayer. Uh, that oftentimes is said in, in solitude uh, by yourself and, and gives an individual a chance to reflect. But then right after it, the call for prayer is made and there is a congregational prayer with the, the Fajr prayer. Another, another interesting thing is Islamic teaching around marriages. Now, this is a whole other big topic. But if you think about marriage celebrations, the nikah, for example, is a public announcement. And the, the valima, for example, is inviting people from around your friends to celebrate that great event. So even that as well, the Islamic teaching 
emphasizes the community aspect of that, sharing that gratitude, which is a personal thing, but with a wider group. Um, so even on those occasions of weddings or even funerals, there are aspects where people come to the house of someone who's lost a loved one. But then there are other timing when mourning happens and, you know, and there's a period of time, for example, when a, a, a lady's been widowed, where she, you know, spends time in mourning. So it's that balance of individual and collective is something that it feels like, feels to me like it's always been there. But with the pandemic, as you said, we, we lost, if you like, we weren't able to do the collective items. And yeah. now being at Jolsa, we're reminded of the benefit of being around around other people yeah yeah you kind of forget what it what it was like and being back at, at the joseph solana uh, uk here the 56th annual convention of the m the muslim community you know you, sometimes you don't realize what you're missing until till you get it back again yeah. and, and that's been the case with with Jalsa. but coming to the topic of of weddings and funerals again another great example of of uh people coming together and we've we've spoken on previous editions of the pathway to peace show you're listening to the pathway to peace by the way here on the voice of islam live from the jalsa salana annual convention of the Ahmadiyya muslim community we spoke uh, before our on a, on a previous show about funerals and we spent quite a bit of time on how you know it's about in a, in a time of need you have the whole community and this is one of the beautiful elements and aspects of an Ahmadiyya muslim community of the community in any locality you are when somebody in your family passes the community really does come together and i remember we spent quite a bit of time discussing this whole aspect and like the whole community comes and food is prepared and people bring food so that the family that's lost a loved one is is grieving and isn't really paying attention to a lot of the other stuff that's going on in the world for, to give them comfort and to allow them to mourn uh, in the best way number one company is offered so they have somebody to talk to they have family there friends there the community there to support them but then also the community providing food uh, helps alleviate this the stress of, of cooking and obviously when you have that many guests you know our culture <laughs> the south asian culture oftentimes is about you know serving food so the food is provided to the family and then any guests that come also inherently get fed as well so it's a beautiful system that that just the community from a worldly aspect even and the human companionship that you get from uh the the wider community is just unbelievable and of course weddings it's a little bit easier with weddings yeah. because they're not a sad occasion but it's more of a happy occasion but you know whenever people ask me like did you have an arranged marriage or what your marriage was like uh, I always say it's about bringing families together. So it's not about two individuals coming yeah. together anymore. It's more of bringing families together. So yeah, my my parents spoke with my wife's parents, and my wife's parents spoke with my met siblings, met cousins, met uncles and aunts, and the whole two families then are united and brought together. Again, another example of people coming together into in congregation. Yes, absolutely. So just before we take a break, let's pick, pick up on one other item as well. Sophia said one of the pillars of Islam is around the Hajj. Yeah. going on pilgrimage to Mecca. And I heard one of our presenters from the ladies team this morning speaking about how the Islamic calendar itself starts because of the migration of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So mm. it starts with a journey. And then also the Hajj is also a pilgrimage and a journey. So right in the heart of Islam, traveling for one's faith yeah. is actually a key thing. And I saw yesterday there were some people who had cycled over from Germany just to be here. And there's remarkable stories of the sacrifices people make sometimes just to travel to be part of an event so you know even the traveling to an event has a has a, a precedence in islamic uh, philosophy 
Yeah, amazing. You mentioned the German cyclists. There was 25 members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Germany who got special permission uh, from His Holiness to ride their bikes all the way from Germany to the UK. Now, in normal times, they send a large delegation on, on bicycles, but this year, 25 lucky individuals got to uh, experience that and, and rode well over 500 miles to from Germany to the UK. And I remember coming a few days ago uh, for Fort Jolsa, and I saw them actually coming in down oh, Green wow. Road. And uh, it was it was beautiful to see. They're all wearing the same color uniform coming, coming down the uh, Green Street or whatever this road yeah. is out here, um, you know, uh, amongst all the trees. And they were led by their emir, uh, Wagenhauser, Abdul Wagenhauser Sahib, uh, was a great guy, by the way. I just opened my window and I had to say salam to them <laughs> when, when I saw that site. It was just a beautiful sight to see them coming and they must be tired and fatigued, but they all had smiles on yeah. their face and they all returned the salam back, uh, coming down. And do you know uh, what the, the t-shirts they were wearing had Muslims for peace written yeah. on it in, uh, in German. So they were also doing some positive, uh, PR at the same time yeah. as, as cycling down let us take a break now when we come back here on the special edition of the voice of islam or pathway to peace show on the voice of islam live from jalsa we will be talking about the objectives purpose and blessings of jalsa salana don't go away we'll be right back speaking about the aims and objectives of this annual convention the jalsa salana the promised messiah founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community hazrat mirza ghulam ahmed unhumbi peace writes this is one of the needs of this jalsa, that strategies for the spiritual well-being of Europe and America should be put forward. For this is now a proven fact that good-natured and sincere people of Europe and America are preparing to enter the fold of Islam. Five core beliefs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The number one core belief of Ahmadiyya Muslims is the same as any other Muslim around the world. And that is the five pillars of Islam, namely proclaiming the unity of God, offering five daily prayers, offering financial sacrifice in the form of zakat, fasting in the month of Ramadan, and offering pilgrimage to Mecca, which is Hajj. This is the absolute basic and foundation for any Muslim around the world. The second core belief for Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in the Holy Prophet Muhammad May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as Khatamun Nabiyyin. We believe him to be the seed of the prophets and the last law-bearing prophet that God Almighty has sent for mankind. We believe him to be the perfect and complete creation. The third core belief for Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in the Holy Quran as a perfect guide for mankind. We believe it to be exactly letter to letter the same word as was revealed to the Holy Prophet Muhammad may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him 1400 years ago. A fourth core belief of Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in the Messiah and Mahdi. Now the majority of Muslims around the world, they also believe in this concept of the Messiah and Mahdi. But this is where us Ahmadi Muslims have the upper hand. We believe that the Messiah and Mahdi that was prophesied by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that very Messiah and Mahdi has come. We believe him to be Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him. In the Ahadith, the Holy Prophet 
may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has given the Messiah and Mahdi the status of a prophet. And we believe that the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mizra Ghulam Ahmed, has come for the revival of Islam and to re-establish a strong connection between creation and the Creator. A fifth core belief for Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in Khilafat, in successorship. So just as after the demise of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there was Khilafat, there was successorship, in exactly the same way after the demise of the promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, God Almighty once again gifted Islam with Khilafat, with successorship. The Ahmadiyya Khilafat was established after the demise of the promised Messiah and has been established for well over a hundred years. We are now in the era of the fifth Caliph, who is Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad. The mission of the Ahmadiyya Khulafa, of the Ahmadiyya Caliphs, is to continue to preach and spread the truthful and peaceful teachings of Islam around the world. These are the five core beliefs of the Ahmadiyya. A new Muslim station, movement. the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Ever since man walked on the face of the earth, there have been over 15,000 major wars that have killed close to 4 billion people. Though impossible to calculate accurately, it is estimated that since the beginning of our recorded history, the world has known only about 300 years of peace. Each leader in the world desires to find a lasting solution to the issue that has plagued our beautiful planet centuries over centuries. There have been many movements, conferences, organizations and NGOs all over the world that promote the idea of world peace. But peace on earth has continued to be just an aspiration. Khilafat the Ahmadiyya is the heavenly institution that was prophesied by the peace-loving Prophet Muhammad History has shown that whenever the world suffers disorder and injustice, a spiritually guided man stands up and advises the world on how to achieve peace through the heavenly teachings of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome back to this special edition of the Pathway to Peace show live from Jalsa. UK, the annual gathering of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, where we are gathering for at scale, I think, for the first time since really 2019. Um, so on our show today, we've been talking about the purpose uh, of uh, the, this gathering, but really reflecting on how Islam emphasizes social gatherings in Islamic philosophy. We spoke about daily prayers, weekly congregation or Friday prayers, Eid, special occasions such as uh, funerals and weddings and then also once in a lifetime the pilgrimage to Mecca and the idea of traveling being a source of blessing. What we want to do in this part of the show is to now talk about specifically you know what was the objective and the purpose um, of the holding and creating this institution of Jalsa Salana the annual um, convention and where better to start than the words of the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mizzah Ghulamah peace be upon him when he says the primary purpose, this was written in 1892, he says the primary purpose of this convention is to enable every sincere individual to personally experience religious benefits. They may enhance their knowledge and, due to their being blessed and enabled by Allah the Exalted, their perception of Allah may progress. Among its secondary benefits is that the congregational meeting 
together will promote mutual introductions among all brothers and it will strengthen the fraternal ties within the community. Uh, joining me uh, as, as before the break as well, Sufyan. Sufyan, we, uh, we talked a little bit earlier around the benefits of having Jalsa. Uh, but actually, there's an article we're going to refer- reference to here, which actually pulled out 11 specific objectives. Um, some of them, mentioned, you know, you already touched on, for example, us getting together and praying together. But let's uh, let's go through some of these and let me know which are the ones that kind of stand out at you and that personally resonate for you when you think about you know, the blessings you've had from attending Jalsas over the over the years. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. Uh, the first one here is benefiting from company. So we've talked about that. You want to go into, you, you just read this beautiful passage from the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on the purpose of Jalsa as well. Uh, so uh, that's number one. Number two is uh, listening to the spiritually insightful discourses and verities. The Promised Messiah states, This gathering will be devoted to the exposition of such truths and spiritual insights as are necessary for the promotion of faith and certainty and spiritual understanding. In other words, participation uh, in the Jalsa Salana serves for the development and the theoretical knowledge as well as spiritual insight. So the first part of that uh, was a quote, and then uh, in other words, uh, the participation bit uh, was just some commentary. But, uh, you know, part of the the purpose of coming to Jalsa is to enhance one no- one's yep. knowledge, and Islam is big on enhancing the knowledge uh each and every man woman and child is is told to go and seek seek knowledge and this is a misconception about islam that women aren't given the right to educate themselves and in fact there are i mean just this morning when his holiness was delivering a discourse in the ladies area you know if you heard uh, you must have heard it rf but the award ceremony went on for quite some time that his holiness i mean this is the first time i think that i recall where his holiness had to actually say like okay we're short on time we we have to move on so i think if it had gone on it would have been another good 20 minutes or so so his holiness said uh, please do this at at another time, make sure they get recognized. And he acknowledged how many women yeah. have received these awards. But, uh, you know, it is a, a teaching of Islam for every man, woman, and child to go and seek knowledge. So part of the, the blessings and the purpose of Jalsa is to come and listen to these scholars speak. So both men and women give uh, speeches at the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And His Holiness... Um, I think it was in the inspection of this 56th annual convention that he mentioned that we must uh, pay attention to the speeches, not necessarily look at who's giving the speech and pick and choose who we listen to, but listen to all of them because he said in each and every speech, there is some uh, wisdom and knowledge that we can gain insight from. So this is a very, very important objective and benefit of uh, the Joseph Salana. Anything to add on that? Yeah, one? absolutely. Or? You have the speeches which sometimes are around the correct, you know, correct uh, concept of jihad. Some of them are around the progress of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Some of them around the history of Islam, even given by some really you know, eminent speakers that, that come from around the world and, and address that jalsa. And then in addition to that, obviously the culmination is the keynote that we have by His Holiness Hazrat Masrullah, may Allah strengthen his hand. And at jalsa, we have 
the opportunity to listen to him more than at any other occasion. I mean, if you add up the talks, there are you know there you have the Friday sermon first of all, or even before that, as you mentioned, the, the inauguration yeah. as well, the inspection. You have Hazul Sona speaking. Then you have the Friday sermon. You have the opening address on the Friday, the address to the ladies, which we, we just happened earlier today. Yeah. So on the Saturday, he'll be Hazul Sona be speaking again today. In the in the evening session, and then again the final address on the Sunday. So that's uh, I've lost count. I think that was five, maybe six. So multiple times condensed into a, just a three day period, which is unique. It's phenomenal. I mean, when I mean, you just take a second. Uh, both me and Arif take a second, as well as you, our listener, take a second to to really comprehend the magnitude of, of, of six speeches that His Holiness has to prepare. May may God continue to strengthen His hand and allow Him to carry forth His message of peace and wisdom uh, throughout the world. But if you think about the level of preparation that His Holiness must go through to put together each of these speeches, and each of them are unique in the sense that they address a different topic. So it's not like a rehash of the speech before or a continuation of the speech before. Every speech is very distinct. So the speech this morning where His Holiness addressed the, the ladies of the community, it was about the lady companions, and, and he gave some shining examples of women in history that that uh, our young uh, ladies today can can take benefit of and again his Hol- his holiness uh, lays great emphasis on uh, the women of the community and ensures that they uh, live up to the expectation that the religion of islam has of them and it is a great great uh, level of expectation and and the role of a mother is so great in islam that uh, it is said that paradise lies under the feet of the mother because the women then are in charge of imparting that knowledge uh, to the, their children and have a huge impact on, on that. There was, there's also a, a prayer that was given by the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim, uh, Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, where he specifically prayed for the people who attended Jalsa. So uh, I'll read the prayer. He says in, in um, a book um, in 1892, he states that, I conclude with the prayer that everyone who travels to attend the Jalsa for the sake of Allah May God Almighty be with them, reward them in abundant measure, have mercy on them, ease up for them their circumstances of hardship and anxiety, and eliminate their anguish and grief. May he grant them freedom for every single hardship and lay open for them the ways of achieving their cherished goals, and raise them up on the day of judgment among those of his servants who are the recipients of his blessings and mercy. May he be their guardian in their absence until after the journey comes to an end. O Allah, O gl- glorious one and bestower of bounties, the ever merciful, the one who resolves all problems, do grant all these prayers. So you can see an amazing prayer, heartfelt prayer from the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, specifically praying for those who travel to attend the Jalsa for the sake of Allah. So there's a great blessing in that for all members and those others as well. Yeah, it takes me back to the bikers. I wonder if the German bikers get more blessing than those of us who drove in the car and they drove a lot longer distance. So may Allah reward their their sacrifice. Well, on uh, that, there's a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that when someone travels towards a congregational prayer, yeah. if it happens to be raining during that time, so I don't know if they experience rain, but for every drop of rain encountered during that journey, one sin is removed and a good deed is put in its place. So there's wow. absolutely blessings in traveling for does, something Does that like this. count when we're in the car? 
I'm, yeah, I'm not sure there. There weren't cars there. And did it rain for the, those coming from Germany? We're not it, sure. It did. It definitely didn't rain for us. I mean, we're in the midst of a heat wave here in the UK. So uh, we'll have to do more to get those blessings in, in some other way, shape, or form. But there are plenty of opportunities to obtain blessings at, at Jelsa. And uh, if you're if you're in doubt on how you can attain blessings, you just have to sit and listen to the address of His Holiness to, to get plenty of ideas and inspiration. Uh, another benefit of Jelsa, the fourth benefit, listed here is increasing knowledge and we've discussed this at quite some length already so we won't spend too much time but the promised messiah did say quote so that every sincere person may have the opportunity to directly gain religious benefits and their knowledge may expand and their spiritual insight uh, may develop by the grace of and blessings of god almighty this is from a uh, a, a news newsletter publication uh, dated the 7th of December 1892 and basically what it's saying is that those who listen to the speeches of Jalsa know full well how much they increase their knowledge uh, their spiritual insight and faith however those who do not participate in Jalsa are deprived of these blessings and faith inspiring experiences of course in the olden days RF obviously we didn't have the technology that we have today so while we are here sitting in the Hampshire countryside uh, attending the Jalsa physically, there are tens and thousands of Ahmadi Muslims partaking of those same spiritual uh, fruits and blessings uh, by watching it live on Muslim television in Ahmadiyya throughout the world. So people in remote villages in, in Africa are, have tuned in, people in, in America, in Canada, in Brazil, in Mexico everywhere where there is a mission house or mosque of the community they right now are tuned in uh, with attentive eyes and ears watching our steps here in the Hampshire countryside and listening attentively to the speeches of his holiness Mirza Masur Ahmed the fifth caliph of the messiah and another aspect as well and this is uh we'll talk about this just before we go to to our next break is that meeting and getting to know each other and I had a strange experience when I when we had two years or at least one year where we had no Jolsa at all when I came last year I realized there's many people I don't even know their names mm. but they're members of the community that are familiar faces and just seeing them and some of them are always in the same departments yeah. so just having that experience of being around people you recognize you know you're used to seeing that there was an element of just community from that point of view as well just being around that environment again and getting to see these people that you know you, you may not even know their names but there was just comfort seeing them again making sure everyone's okay and the Jalsa is an annual time to just see people you don't normally see it's it's phenomenal. You can come into Jalsa, you have your, your badge, your identification or whatever, but once you're through the gates, nobody nobody really cares who you are. All they all they need to know is that you're an Ahmadi Muslim and as Asalaamu Alaikum, uh, when we're allowed to handshake, give a handshake, when we're allowed to hug, give a hug. And that's all you need to know. And you can go anywhere in the world as an Ahmadi Muslim and walk into an Ahmadi Muslim mission or mosque or a community there, small or large, say Asalaamu Alaikum, you're an Ahmadi Muslim, you're a follower of the, the, the Caliph of the Messiah, and, and you, it's like you have family there. Yeah. Yeah. They'll feed you, they'll give you accommodation, they'll, they'll bend over backwards to take care of you. And if we think about certain people we don't see until Jalsa, I was just think, trying to think back in my own mind, Imam Ibrahim Nunu moved to Ireland, for example, is the yeah. head, like, the Amir, their leader there. 
I'd always get to see him at Jalsa. would catch up. Um, if you think about people from the United States as yeah. well, um, Azhar Hanif Sahib, you know, Jalsa is often away. Yeah. You see these people together sometimes. You see them talking to each other, for example, which yeah. doesn't normally occur in, in, in our everyday lives. And it's a chance where, you know, these, these kind of meetings happen. It's the beauty of Jalsa. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace here on the Voice of Islam Radio, special edition from the 56th annual convention of the UK Jalsa Salana. Uh, we'll be back after this break. Speaking about the aims and objectives of this annual convention, the Jalsa Salana, the promised Messiah, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Unhumbi Peace, writes, This is one of the needs of this Jalsa, that strategies for the spiritual well-being of Europe and America should be put forward. For this is now a proven fact that good-natured and sincere people of Europe and America are preparing to enter the fold of Islam. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah So for, for me in, 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 in my life what I did was I said to... Um, it came to a point in my life where I said I need spirituality. I need to know about there must be more to life than just working, getting up in the morning, going to work at nine o'clock, coming home at five o'clock, going to bed, waking up the next day and doing the same thing over and over again. There must be more to life than just eating food and taking pleasure from a meal. There must be more to life than drinking a latte and taking pleasure in a latte. And all of these thoughts take you towards spirituality. And when you know spirituality, that is to come to Allah. So, so that was how it started. But then what really, you know, practically for me, what happened was, I said to the, the various friends that I had at the time, you know, I believe in, I want to know about God, whether or not God exists. What would you advise me? So I spoke to a Christian, I spoke to a Buddhist, I spoke to a Muslim, I spoke to a, a Hindu a little bit, and also to an Ahmadi Muslim as well. And they all gave me the same advice. They all said, Allah, we believe in God, we pray, and God answers prayers. So what was very nice is all the different religions essentially gave the same advice. When I did that, then when I prayed, then Allah answered my prayers. Right. And I prayed for the first time genuinely from my heart. And Allah says that whenever the supplicant prays to him, then he answers those prayers. Yeah. And Allah, by the, grace of, by the grace of Allah Almighty, then he answered my prayers. And I believed in him for the first time. And from there, I continued those conversations. And I said to the Christian, what do you believe? I said to the Muslim, what do you believe? And to the Hindu, the same. And to the Ahmadi Muslim. And essentially, to believe in Islam Ahmadiyyat means you believe in all of Jesus' teachings, all of Krishna's teachings, all of Buddha's teachings, but you have them clarified by the Holy Quran, right. and then you accept the Prophet or the Imam Mahdi who's been sent by Allah in, in subservience to the Holy Prophet mm-hmm. So to, to become an Ahmadi Muslim means that you actually accept everything that all of the others do, but you are the most submissive to Allah, because you accept a Prophet that has come so recently that to make that decision shows, or inshallah, it shows to Allah that I'm willing to follow you and not just my culture, not just my society, but I'm willing to accept the one that you've sent in my, in my time, in my generation. Ever since man walked on the face of the earth, there have been over 15,000 major wars that have killed close to 4 billion people. Though impossible to calculate accurately, it is estimated that since the beginning of our recorded history, 
The world has known only about 300 years of peace. Each leader in the world desires to find a lasting solution to the issue that has plagued our beautiful planet centuries over centuries. There have been many movements, conferences, organizations and NGOs all over the world that promote the idea of world peace. But peace on earth has continued to be just an aspiration. Khilafat Ahmadiyya is the heavenly institution that was prophesied by the peace-loving Prophet Muhammad History has shown that whenever the world suffers disorder and injustice, a spiritually guided man stands up and advises the world on how to achieve peace through the heavenly teachings of Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Pathway to Peace show here at the Jalsa Salana, the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. You are listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Uh, myself and Sufyan have been going through the uh, purpose of the annual convention, um, talking about how Islamic philosophy emphasizes communal meeting as well as journeying for religious reasons as well. So now, Sufyan, in the second half of this program, really, what I wanted to us to reflect on is some unique aspects. What are some of the things that we, you have seen, uh, you know, at Jalsa that you haven't seen elsewhere? So I, I have some that I wish to speak about as well. But let, why don't we, um, why don't we start with you in terms of when you think of Jalsa outside of maybe the core speeches that everyone sees who watches it online and addresses by His Holiness? What are some of the other um, exhibitions or other experiences and things that you've witnessed in terms of your own experiences at Jalsa? There, there's so many. I mean, where do I begin? <laughs> I mean, oh, let's, let's start in the kitchen. <laughs> That's always a good place to start, right? <laughs> uh, people get hungry. So how are all these people fed? Right. So the beautiful thing about the the we call it the kitchen of the of the Messiah, uh, or the langar khana. You may you may have heard that term on the Voice of Islam uh, over these last couple of days. But basically, the the food that is provided for each and every attendee is given free of charge, and they have a full selection of you know different dishes. So there's lentils, dal. There's there's alu gosht, which is potatoes and 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 meat kind of like a stew uh, and there's rice and then for people that that can't eat that oily food they've they've accommodated the guests of, of the Messiah the people that come here for the blessings uh, of being uh, involved in and part of of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, they offer pasta for, for as an alternative mm-hmm. so when you look at how that food is prepared it's a massive kitchen that's that's preparing all that food for close to 30,000 people already and we're we're hoping to exceed the 30,000 mark at this annual convention uh, so twice a day as well for three days right twice a day or three times a day yeah, yeah so so they got to do breakfast lunch and dinner and then it's given free of charge to to anyone and everyone and then on top of that they're making fresh non bread uh, for for each and every person, so let's say on average each person would eat one or two nuns. So multiply that by thirty thousand, and then you know times that by three, and then you have the total number of non breads. And then um, then my favorite one when we're speaking of food. I mean when people people eat food, then there's going to be dirty dishes, right? So you need those pots washed. So that's where the they they have a whole department. For pot washing that comes in and and all they do the whole day i love watching the videos of it i have to go visit them and say islam to them at some point but 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 the dedication that they have just to wash those dishes so that the food that you get is served 
and and clean dishes. Obviously, you want it. You want your food hygienic and, and sanitized and in and in, in, in clean uh, pots. So these these pot washers, all they do is wash pots all day, and and provide that to the kitchen so that they can deliver you uh, fresh food. I mean, that's just one area of gel. So sure. I can go on and on, but yeah, I'll no, let you one. go next. Yeah, one. no, it's a good one to, to pick up on. I think um, I think clearly you were hungry when I asked you the question, which is why you went for food straight away. But it's amazing to see the scale of this yeah. operation. Um, and also, it's worth emphasizing the people doing those duties are often, you know, they're volunteers and some of them are like highly skilled professionals in their yeah. day jobs, but they choose for these few days to put that to one side uh, and just dedicate themselves to working on, on things like on policy. that note. I learned and I learned yesterday. In fact, I went home when I turned on MTA, and I learned that the people over at scanning. So when you come into the Jelsa site, you're first of all you, you you have to take a COVID test unless you're vaccinated and have proof of that, and you get this little golden sticker that they've made mm-hmm. uh we'll take a picture of it and, and tweet it out in a little bit but when you come in you go through put put your it's almost like an airport and you put your bags in and, and it goes through the scanner and you have to walk through kind of a metal detector to make sure you don't have anything dangerous on you but what i learned yesterday Arif, is that the people that they've put at scanning this year are yep. actually professionals at Gatwick right. and Heathrow Airport that do scanning for a living. So they know what to look out for. So here at JOSA, as you mentioned, and it reminded me of that, that you, people that do this professionally come and volunteer yep. their time for, for the JOSA and are, are put in roles where, that, are, that are to their strengths so that they can help uh, the community. Uh, get up to par when yep. it comes to things like scanning and back checking. Obviously, you don't want, for example, somebody that doesn't know a thing about scanning or what to look for on the monitor, scanning the bags. You want somebody that has some knowledge. But that's another part of the community where you have people from all walks of life doing different things that they can come in and, you know, serve the community in whatever capacity they, they know how. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you picked up on that. We've seen that with you know, other things like Muslim Television, Ahmadiyya, maybe even Voice of Islam as well, where we have the core volunteers, but then yeah. those who are experts in their field yeah. um, start to come and volunteer as well and bring that real expertise and professionalism that only, you know, they can bring. And, and they're not charging for this. This is all voluntary work yeah. that they're doing, isn't it? You know, So they may be scanning in Heathrow Airport and Gatwick Airport during the day and being paid for that, but are happy to give up and volunteer their time to you know, help the community for, for these events. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. We are broadcasting live from the Hampshire countryside at the 56th Annual Convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. We invite you to uh, tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Use the hashtag VOI Peace. We're going to take a short break. And we'll be right back. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Pathway to Peace show at the Jalsa Salana, the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. We're broadcasting live here on the Voice of Islam radio station. In our show, we've been broadcasting since 3 p.m. this afternoon. We've been talking about the background of Jalsa Salana. We've been talking about Islamic philosophy and how traveling to uh, for religious reasons is part of Islamic philosophy. And we've touched on the idea and, and the emphasis in Islam of coming together, whether that be for congregational prayers, whether that be for the weekly Friday sermon and Jummah, uh, or on occasions such as this, or once in a lifetime when we travel to Mecca for the Hajj. 
Um, in this part of the show, we want to look at some of the other aspects of the Jalsa, and I'm very pleased to welcome a guest with me. We've got Fazal Ahmed from Humanity First. Fazal, assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome to the show. Waalaikum salam. So, Humanity First have an exhibition at Jalsa Salana. Um, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Humanity First, can you talk to us a little bit about the origins and, and the aims of Humanity First? So, Humanity First comes from, <clears throat> it's actually from our faith. There's two parts to our faith. The Hukukula, looking after the, uh, you know, our duties towards God. And Hukukula, looking after our duties towards the creator, the creations of God. So, serving mankind is actually a key part of our faith. And 27 years ago, almost 30 years ago, um, the Khalifa of the time um, was saying that it's not just Ahmadis, there are people from all walks of life, or noble souls as he called them, who wish to help mankind. So we established Humanity First as a charity, initially registered in the UK. We're now registered in 62 countries. And the objectives were to uh, alleviate poverty and distress, whether it's through natural disasters or conflict or longer term poverty alleviation. And we have a number of banner programs where a combination of water, agriculture, education, healthcare, we're, we're using a combination of these initiatives to try and improve the outlook for people, especially in low income and rural regions of the world. I had a question for you. So our show is called The Pathway to Peace. Now, obviously, humanitarian charities are there to alleviate suffering. But what, what do you feel is the, the link between some of the projects you're running and longer term peace uh, you know, throughout the world? Well, if you think about it, where there is conflict, people then are displaced and have to move elsewhere. Now, if I said to you, how many people do you think are displaced right now? Right now, tens, tens of millions, I think. Tens of millions, yeah, tens yeah. of millions. One in 78 people in the wow. entire planet. Just think about that. One in every 78 people is displaced from home because of conflict or because of climate change and natural disasters. So if unless we help them to be able to recover and go back and have a sustainable outlook in their home, they're going to go somewhere else. And that leads to conflict. It leads to disturbances. That's the first thing. The second thing is without being able to use your own natural resources properly, without having the wherewithal them, yourselves to educate, to have better health, you will look elsewhere. And you will either look to move elsewhere or you will look to usurp other people's resources. Neither of that leads to peace. So what we're trying to do in a sustainable way is to uplift communities all around the world and that should lead to a more peaceful and stable world. I think His Holiness as well has talked about in uh, his addresses at things like Peace Conference the need to you know, help the development of some areas that are less developed and try and establish a, you know, education levels and things like that. Often people who have heard of Humanity First associate you with disaster relief and these sorts of one-off events. But can you talk a little bit about some of the other longer-term projects that you also run? So, for example, in a week's time, I'm going to Ghana, inshallah. And, um, you know, in, in that part of the world, we, we're building hospitals um, we have, you know, we've built nine hospitals. We're building another five hospitals and clinics at the moment. We've built 80 schools. And these are schools in 
rural and underserved areas where the nearest school might be 20, 30 miles away so wow. the kids don't go to school. So what we're doing is enabling those children to access education for the first time, possibly in many generations. We're doing water infrastructure projects. We're doing farming and agriculture projects um, and you know vocational training. So there's a basket of projects that we do. We also look after the most vulnerable, whether it's orphans. So we have just completed the build of our second orphanage in Uganda. We also have food banks. We uh, we have an elderly care home on the island of Sao Tome. Uh, we are looking after disabled children in various countries. So these are all initiatives uh, uplifting the weakest in society. Can we bring it back to the UK? So our listeners on this show, are there'll be some listening online from around the world, but predominantly we'll be here in the UK. And there is a, again, people might associate Humanity First with doing projects in Africa and other parts of the world, but you do a lot in the UK as well. Can you speak a bit about some of your UK-based projects? So the thing is, in the UK, yes, we actually have disasters in the UK, not often, but recently we've seen more and more cases of flooding. So when that happens, we're there to pick up the pieces, provide emergency food and shelter or bedding to displaced families. But longer term, um, you know, there is growing poverty in this country. Mm, yeah. you know, the, the, Roundtree, uh, the Roundtree Foundation regularly talk about in all of our towns and cities across the country, even in London, the, even the rich cities, we're seeing growing poverty and homelessness. And therefore, we have two food banks, one in uh, Walsall in the West Midlands, one in Murfield in West Yorkshire, and these are serving, you know, quite a big community in 30-mile radius each. But we're also doing organic garden projects. So we have one going in Bradford. And we're looking to do more and more of that. Again, the focus being, you know, rather than relying on someone else, yeah. if we can encourage people to do organic gardens themselves, it's like the allotments yeah. that have been yeah. in this country for decades. Yeah. decades. Um, it just reminds people that you can... You can grow your own stuff. Absolutely. Or even reminding people, you can cook your own stuff. <laughs> and I think also as well, correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's some programs which are just around talking to the elderly and being around them at the social aspect of you know actually spending time with people in certain groups. I think with a group is that in Surrey where it's just a case of you know spending time with older people who might be isolated and just not have that you know one-to-one -one relationship well f funny you should say that there's two aspects yes we <clears throat> we were working in partnership with a local charity in Surrey called Staywell it's the old Age UK yeah um, and we were doing events you know curry nights we, we took them to Kew Gardens we took them to Brighton we were arranging social activity to to keep you know the elderly population fresh yeah but the other thing we saw, you know, three years ago, coronavirus left many people isolated, left a huge tail. We're only just seeing the tail of mental health that is left. Yeah. Um, and so we had a helpline running uh, for many, many months where people, people who felt isolated, concerned, anxious, could phone us, and we would, uh, you know, we we would be their lifeline yeah. uh, or even signpost them to other services that are available in local authorities. Yeah, it was certainly a crucial uh, service at that time and a lot of people were already isolated and coronavirus emphasised it. What about Jolsa then? So you're here, you're at Jolsa, you've got your stall. Uh, what are some of the, you know, what is the, the purpose, I guess, for you having that stall? What are some of the benefits you have from having a presence at this so, event? So we actually have our exhibition. We also have a merchandise stall mm -hmm. and we also have a burger 
Excellent. Saw, we <laughs> are doing amazing business, <laughs> as you can imagine. With the exhibition, um, I would say it's threefold. The very first thing is awareness. You know, despite so many people being involved. There are many, many people I keep coming across who say, I don't know what you're doing. Really, right. So it's about raising awareness, first and foremost, of what we're doing. Secondly, we're getting new volunteers. I had a person yesterday Good. who came yeah. through from Network Rail, who's a project manager, who's going to start assisting me. And the third thing, of course, is donations yeah. and pledges. I mean, we're building, we're finishing a new hospital in Ivory Coast, and we urgently need more funds for that. And if people want to see what's going on, they can see our website, www.ivorycoasthospital.org. Fantastic. And just lastly, if they want to learn more information, our listeners have heard what you said and inspired to find out more. Where can they go to find out more about Humanity First overall? So they can go to our main website, www.humanityfirst.org. They can go to our social media, it's HFI 1995, 95 being when we were registered, and that's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, they can see us on LinkedIn, there's lots of information. On Twitter, we do many posts a day from all around the world showing yeah. the latest projects. Fantastic. Fazal Ahmed from Humanity First, thank you much for joining us. We'll take a short break and we'll be back after this. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Five core beliefs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The number one core belief of Ahmadi Muslims is the same as any other Muslim around the world. And that is the five pillars of Islam. Namely, proclaiming the unity of God, offering five daily prayers, offering financial sacrifice in the form of zakat, fasting in the month of Ramadan, and offering pilgrimage to Mecca, which is Hajj. This is the absolute basic and foundation for any Muslim around the world. The second core belief for Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as Khatamun Nabiyyin. We believe him to be the seal of the prophets and the last law-bearing prophet that God Almighty has sent for mankind. We believe him to be the perfect and complete creation. The third core belief for Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in the Holy Quran as a perfect guide for mankind. We believe it to be exactly letter to letter the same word as was revealed to the Holy Prophet Muhammad may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him 1400 years ago. A fourth core belief of Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in the Messiah and Mahdi. Now the majority of Muslims around the world, they also believe in this concept of the Messiah and Mahdi. But this is where us Ahmadi Muslims have the upper hand. We believe that the Messiah and Mahdi that was prophesied by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that very Messiah and Mahdi has come. We believe him to be Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him. In the Ahadith, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has given 
the Messiah and Mahdi the status of a prophet. And we believe that the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, has come for the revival of Islam and to re-establish a strong connection between creation and the Creator. A fifth core belief for Ahmadi Muslims is our belief in Khilafat, in successorship. So just as after the demise of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there was Khilafat, there was successorship, in exactly the same way after the demise of the promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, God Almighty once again gifted Islam with Khilafat, with successorship. The Ahmadiyya Khilafat was established after the demise of the promised Messiah and has been established for well over a hundred years. We are now in the era of the fifth Caliph, who is Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad. The mission of the Ahmadiyya Khulafa, of the Ahmadiyya Caliphs, is to continue to preach and spread the truthful and peaceful teachings of Islam around the world. These are the five core beliefs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Why should one attend the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community? The promised Messiah and whom be peace articulated the following aims and objectives for all those attending the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Number one, the visit will be solely for the sake of Allah, to listen to heavenly discourses and to participate in prayer to their utmost ability. Number two, the voicing of such truths and verities will be the occupation of this jalsa, which are important for the progress of belief, certainty, and enlightenment. Number three, friends that join this jamaat in each new year shall, by attending on the appointed dates, get to meet their brethren, and as a result, become friends. Number four, also anybody who passes away during the year, a prayer for their forgiveness shall be made at this convention. And number five, it shall be endeavored to spiritually unite all brethren and to remove disassociation, unfamiliarity, and hypocrisy from among them. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. You are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. We are broadcasting live from the Hampshire countryside at the 56th annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the United Kingdom. Now we just heard about one of the exhibitions, one of the arms uh, what would you call it? Arf, an arm or an? Uh, it's not an auxiliary organization, yeah, well, is it? It's exactly. an arm of the Ahmadiyya Muslim an institution. Community, an institution of the institution of humanity for serving uh, mankind. That is, in fact, their their motto. And a beautiful interview there by uh, Fazal Ahmed Saab from Humanity First. And now we're joined by another guest of another area of Jalsa. And this area of Jalsa in particular is special to my heart because it is in fact mentioned as one of the ways of the propagation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that the, the founder, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, uh, mentioned in his book, The Victory of Islam, and that is through the publication of books. Uh, so there are many, many books that the, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, wrote in his lifetime, and his caliphs, his successors, also continue this legacy and tradition of, of writing many, many books. And now to bring all those books together within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, there is a department 
for publication. And joining us here uh, this afternoon is uh, Mr. Mirza Khalik, uh, who is the National Secretary for the Department of Publications. Assalamu alaikum, Mirza Khalik. How, how are you this afternoon? Wa alaikum assalam. Alhamdulillah. I'm very well. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me here. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here on Voice of Islam. It's great to have you here. I mean, we're speaking about the Voice of Islam, uh, but then with the books, we have the written written word of Islam. Uh, tell us about a little bit about your department and and what your role is here at the at the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. Uh, my debat- department, as you've introduced, uh, is about publication. So uh, what our uh, aim is to uh, introduce new books and also to within within the community and uh, to wider uh, public. Uh, also to create interest, interest for youngsters to, to read because as you know nowadays uh, very few um, youngsters are into reading books itself. They are yeah. uh, physical books. They are more into online and and using uh, various apps. So that's another way of uh, uh, to, so they can concentrate. The, 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 the advantage of having a book in your hand rather than uh, using a phone or anything that mm. you can concentrate on what you're reading and and you can get a lot in. Yeah. More, uh, rather than rather than uh, online uh, device. So how how do you go about doing that? I mean, how how are you encouraging the youth to to go to the bookstall number one and number two to pick up a book and actually purchase a physical book rather than just reading on their phone or on their device? So what we've uh, this year uh, started for, uh, for before when we started preparing for Jalsa Hey. We have used a lot of social media to, to introduce our new books. And we've uh, uh, come across a, a scheme of introducing various bundles of books. So these bundles have uh, different themes. So they are some are uh, for education purposes, some are for youth, and, and also for very young children, to, for them to start reading from basic, very uh, uh, small books and then add to their library. So what we're encouraging people to buy these bundles is depending at how, depending how much room they have in their houses or in their apartments. So they can start a very basic library with five or six books depending on which subject is more is closer to them or they want to research more and then they can expand on it. Yeah. Uh, that this is a beautiful idea. Now, what was the inspiration for this idea? Where this uh, did this idea emanate from? I mean, our listeners are very familiar. We've mentioned many times about the Caliph of of the Promised Messiah, the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. But tell us about the inspiration for for this idea. So the in, in, inspiration came from, as, as you mentioned, uh, His Holiness, the fifth Caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, that he, uh, in the latest few speeches, he's mentioned that we should encourage uh, our youth to read more and also uh, for us to publish books which are more relevant. So these books should fly off the shelves. So people should be so interested in these books because they are more relevant to the current issues and especially for youngsters, the issues they face like social media or uh, about jihad and about holy wars. So they should be much more aware of 
that the actual reality of of or of Islamic perspective of these things rather than reading these things and misinformation in in other kind of media. Yeah. So for for our youngsters, our young listeners who may be thinking about purchasing some books here at the Jalsa Salana, are there any books that you have in mind that you would encourage them to to pick up and 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 read or take home with them from Jalsa? We we are very fortunate. We we have over 200 titles here and uh, it's it's a, it's it's like a buffet for everyone they can come pick and choose depending on what what they feel like and what mm. they're more relevant to them but uh, we as we were discussing the new books we we have uh, uh, just recently a lot of children books have come printed by our ladies uh, side of uh, our community and they are very relevant for with current issues and they are uh, very uh, they're not very big books they're very small and easy easy to read uh, apart from that as i mentioned earlier there's a, there's a book by prophet messiah which is holy war so which also uh, people can relate to with current climate at the yeah. moment with, with the ukraine and other other uh, issues going on within the world so that they, they and apart from that there are there books like noah's ark or a, a philosophy of teaching islam so these books are very relevant to to the current issues at the moment so i, I would recommend these for youngsters to to come and, and and try these books yeah that's 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 really really important for our youngsters and for those that just want to increase their knowledge or if we spoke earlier about people increasing their knowledge so this is just one other avenue that people can actually take part of the jalsa home with them in the form of a form of these books now i want to spend a little bit of time uh khaliq with us talking about uh, another area that you work very closely with uh, and that is the distribution of a uh, historic magazine the review of religions now talk a little bit about how here in the UK we are working to improve um, our level of distribution of of this magazine so this as you, as you said it's a very historic magazine this is the only magazine in english which was started by a founder of our community the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so it it has its own uh, importance so what what we're doing now is that we are we have a, 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 a area within our our bookstore which is dedicated to to the the distribution of uh, review of religion so they are signing up the new new uh, subscribers the other uh, thing we're doing is we are constantly approaching our uh, our community and also various schools and uh, other organizations uh, all over UK to subscribe to this magazine because it's only just, not just religious issues they discuss various all over uh, the world and various issues which are very current and very relevant to everyone's life not just about the community it, it is relevant to everyone all over the world yeah, Review of Religions is a great publication, and I know Arif, you also do some work with Review of Religions as well. Uh, were there any other questions that you had for for Khaliq? Yeah, I think uh, well, it's first of all for me one of my fondest memories of Jalsa is the bookstore, right? So yeah. I think first of all we've missed it because it was part of the experience for me was 
you know, you would come and benefit from the spiritual nourishment, but you would also get the physical nourishment of the manga lessees. And you were talking about food earlier. And then the other thing I remember is carrying a heavy, you know, bag full of books because there were always new books that would come out at, at Jalsa that you wouldn't have at other times of the year. And it was almost part of the, you know, some of the traditions in addition to the, the core um, purpose of listening to His Holiness is also we want to increase our knowledge. We want to be better at explaining the tenets of Islam. And I always, you know, often I remember that Jalsa was the time to restock your your you know your collection of uh, books. So I think you touched on it already. But are there any other um, new publications that have come out this year? Uh, yeah, this year we have uh, over twenty new publications. Oh, wow. We have uh, translations of uh, Prophet al Islam's uh, new books. Uh, which uh, we've got uh, Gift of Baghdad. We have Do's and Don'ts. Uh, we have. Uh, uh, other uh, around four or five other uh, books which have been revised uh, this year. So Alhamdulillah, and there's another book called Malfuzat, which is which was a volume of one to five in in Urdu, but we're translating it in English now, and we have now up to ten volumes available here. Uh, another thing, I think, just as we're mentioning how we are uh, sort of promoting these books. So this year we. Approached uh, uh, our members all over all over UK, and we took advance orders. So we have gone like like any other uh, retail outlet kind of thing. We've uh, taken their ideas and went for click and collect service. So we uh, had uh, around uh, I would say around 120 pre-ordered bo- uh, book orders, which we uh, prepared. At- and as people now, our members are uh, arriving in Jalsa, they come and collect their order. So it, it's much more convenient for them. You planning to keep that going? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. And where's the website that our listeners uh, can go uh, to? I think the, we are, the website, at the moment, we, we're using uh, the members, the, 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 the our secretaries of publications, local areas. Yep. But we are working on the website. We will go live in October, and then I'll come and see you again to, to, We're gonna write that to pro- promote our website. In October. In October, in definitely. Excellent. Yeah, sure. I want to thank uh, Mirza Khalik for, for joining us here on the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to have you here and uh, wishing you all the best and of success here at the Jalsa Salana and uh, throughout the endeavors of, of the publication department throughout the, the the rest of the year. So thank, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. Thank you thank for you. having me here. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The Holy Quran states Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. Anur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees. And a person who has gone astray finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well. The true light is God. 
which can be perceived in everything by those with insight. However, one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it. A believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed, as well as the universe that cannot be observed, is created by God in order to give an understanding of this light. God sends His chosen people who spread the nur, which comes down from the heavens throughout the world. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, writes, that light of high degree that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels, was not in the stars, was not in the moon was not in the sun, was not in the oceans or the rivers, was not in rubies or emeralds, or sapphires or pearls. In short, it was not in any earthly or heavenly object. It was only in perfect man, whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example was our Lord and Master, the Chief of the Prophets, the Chief of all living ones, Muhammad, the Chosen One. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment. The nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them, so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago, he also granted him the station to spread this nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, when the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God stay hidden? Why should one attend the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community? The promised Messiah and whom be peace articulated the following aims and objectives for all those attending the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Number one, the visit will be solely for the sake of Allah 
to listen to heavenly discourses and to participate in prayer to their utmost ability. Number two, the voicing of such truths and verities will be the occupation of this jalsa, which are important for the progress of belief, certainty, and enlightenment. Number three, friends that join this jamaat in each new year shall, by attending on the appointed dates, get to meet their brethren, and as a result, become friends. Number four, also anybody who passes away during the year, a prayer for their forgiveness shall be made at this convention. And number five, it shall be endeavored to spiritually unite all brethren and to remove disassociation, unfamiliarity, and hypocrisy from among them. We live in the age of buttons, where a single button can order us a takeaway or signal the beginning of a nuclear war. At a time when the fabric of our society is ever-changing and ever-tearing, where nations are remodeled overnight and billions of dollars are lost in an instant, we are no doubt standing at a pit of uncertainty. With global suicide rates ever increasing and the threat of a third world war ever looming, our eyes strain for a solution to this epidemic of unrest. But one voice has spoken out in the darkness, addressing the global public and leaders of the world time and time again. A voice of reason, logic, and the overwhelming power of truth. This voice, a beacon of light, exists in the visionary of this age. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the global spiritual leader and guide for tens of millions of Muslims around the world. If we are to leave behind a legacy of hope for our children and bequeath a peaceful world to our future generations, we, irrespective of our religion or beliefs, need to urgently change our priorities. Instead of being consumed by materialism and a desire for power, every nation, whether rich or poor, must prioritize the peace and security of the entire world above all else. Instead of embarking on an arms race leading to death and destruction, we must join the race to save and protect humanity. Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings of God be upon you. Welcome back to the Hampshire countryside in Hadikatul Medi, the Garden of the Messiah, where we are broadcasting live here a special edition of the Pathway to Peace show on the Voice of Islam radio. Be sure to follow us on social media, tweet at Voice of Islam UK, use the hashtag VOI Peace. Let us know your thoughts, comments, and feedback. We've had two very special guests, our first guest from uh, Humanity First, and then just before the break, we were speaking to Mirza Khalik of the National Department of Publications here in the UK, uh, serving uh, up and down for all the way from Scotland down to the southern coast of these great British islands. Uh, now we're going to talk about another feature and aspect of the annual convention and 
Mirza Khalik mentioned the Review of Religions and we talked to him a little bit about the distribution efforts that are happening here in the UK uh, as that falls under his department. But another area for Review of Religions that is always uh, great to see, and in fact, RF, I'm, I'm actually missing it this year because yeah. I'm so used to seeing a replica of the Shroud of Turin, but this year for whatever reason maybe you can shed some light on it uh it's 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 not here but the review of religions has been known for that exhibition since 2015 uh tell us a little bit about that so you mentioned the publications topic earlier was a subject close to your heart and this is certainly something uh very close to my heart as well so the background to this is that there is a a replica or sorry there is an artifact that exists in the world today called the shroud of turin now it's a much bigger topic but i'll give you a brief introduction so this this art, this artifact claims to be the original burial cloth or burial shroud of Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, when he was taken down from the cross. Now, what's fascinating about this is that it's currently, um, you know, under the protection of the current living Pope. So it's in uh, you know, the custody of the Pope. It's kept in Turin every few years. It's exhibited. Now, fascinatingly, there has always been a debate uh, in the world around, in the religious world around, did Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, survived the crucifixion did he die on the cross etc the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has always maintained the the thesis that actually Prophet Jesus peace be upon him survived the crucifixion and we're always looking for evidence or bits of information that can help try and work out what happened at the crucifixion the shroud if it is genuine uh, potentially has you know can be a piece of evidence in that in that story and the, the unique thing about the shroud cloth it's just a linen cloth is that it has an image formed upon it. So there's this ongoing mystery about what is the shroud? Is it authentic? How did it come about? What caused that image to form? Uh, and, you know, what can it tell us about the life of Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him? Now, the Review of Religions had talked about the Shroud of Turin for, for a number of years. I remember in particular in the early 2000s, there was an article where we reprinted something. We reprinted an, um, a piece by an expert on the Shroud of the Turin around whether the Shroud was potentially a medieval photograph. So someone had written about this thesis and we were able to contact at the time the review, the review team were able to contact the leading expert on the Shroud of Turin. It's a name, mm. an, an gentleman by the name of Barry Schwartz. Now, the reason Barry is the leading expert is because he was the official documenting photographer of a team that studied the Shroud in 1978. Interestingly, the only team to have ever studied the Shroud, right? There, there hasn't been a scientific examination since then. It's been over 40 years, maybe even more. <laughs> so Barry is in this unique position of, of being the kind of the expert. He also mm. created Shroud.com and he collated that information on there. So the review had featured him before, but what we wanted to do, and this is the subject of what we're discussing now is, in 2015, we, I was personally in touch with Barry again because one of these topics had come up again. There was a controversial uh, proposal out there about how the image formed. So we contacted Barry, said, can you help us validate an article? And it was one of the review leaders, uh, Amir Safir, who's the, the chief editor, who said, maybe we could actually do some kind of an exhibition. Could we maybe invite Barry to the Jalsa Salana? We're in the days of planning. I remember thinking, how on earth am I going to uh, you know, ask the leading expert in the world on the Shroud and invite him to an event like this? We've never met the guy. We haven't spoken to him one-to-one. -one. We've just exchanged emails. But then, as, as the way that happens, you know, with, with events like this, it took a life of its own. So within a four to six week period, I'd spoken to him. He'd specifically mentioned wanting to come to the UK. He wow. mentioned that he's got a five pound note that he's never been able to spend because he was there once before, which gave me a perfect opportunity to invite him. He then also mentioned that there is an ex exhibition based in the UK already. So a lady called Pam Moon, and she has a team with her of Brenda and Stuart Benton, 
You also have um, others in the team, such as Luigi. Hopefully, I've not meant, uh, forgotten the names of any of their team. But they have a team and they have an exhibition. And the central part of their exhibition is a life-size replica of the Shroud made from high-resolution images taken off the Shroud by Barry himself. Yeah. Only a few of these exist in the world. So amazingly, by Allah's grace, really, God's grace, in a few years, in a few weeks' time, very quickly, we were able to put together the plans to have Barry himself come to the UK and also get access to this wonderful exhibition, which was already put together for us and host it at the Jolsa. I remember the on the, the eve of the Jolsa, or very few days before, I remember trying to set the expectations of our guests saying, this is the first time we're doing an exhibition. Mm. We've never done anything like this before. Yeah. We don't know how much interest there will be. Please be prepared that maybe no one will come. Mm-hmm. But then what happened was His Holiness, as on the Friday sermon, the opening address at the Jalsa, at the end of his uh, sermon, he graciously mentioned the exhibition and he told everyone to come. So as you can imagine, you know, the, the crowds were out the door. And the vo- what I want to emphasize as well, um, the volunteers, the people who came with Pam, you know, they, that exhibition, they often take it to Christian um, churches and other mm-hmm. events. And they said the amount of interest that they saw at the Jalsa from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community just blew them away. It was more yeah. than they had seen at any of these other events. Yeah. <clears throat> and it kind of, like I said, it took a life of its own. And over the years now, the Shroud exhibition at Jalsa was officially recognized as the largest gathering to discuss the Shroud of Turin outside of Turin. Mm. It's mentioned specifically in a documentary. So it's been an incredible kind of journey. We're absolutely missing it. A lot of us, you know, I yeah. personally and, and, and a lot of people are. The Shroud guests themselves are missing it as well, which we'll come on to. They've sent yeah. some messages. But that that's really the crux of how this kind of came together. Yeah, so you mentioned it's the largest convention on the Shroud of Turin outside of Turin. And that's just, just phenomenal. Is that like a, a newspaper headline or was that just, was that part of the documentary? Yeah, so th- there's a, um, a gentleman called David Rolf who created mm a documentary called The Silent Witness which was okay. the first feature film about the Shroud and then more recently he's just recently had another film out as well so he's been a guest before at the Jalsa and he got to see how it was running what was happening and in his um, in, he did a documentary around the carbon dating of the Shroud recently and in there it specifically has a scene from, the, from Jalsa and it mentions it's the largest gathering uh, you know, outside of Turin on the Shroud that's, that's amazing and you think about it and the ir- irony of it and I know Barry mentions this a lot too because um, I believe if I remember correctly, or if correct me if I'm wrong, but he's Jewish by faith, right? Correct. Yeah. So he's a Jewish Jewish person speaking about a... He always says a Jewish person speaking about a Christian relic at a Muslim convention. Uh, that's the line that I remember Absolutely. from Barry Schwartz. And, and basically that, once he said that line in front of everyone, it was yeah. a way that everyone now knew Barry, even if they didn't know the Shroud of Turin. And they, yeah. they had this personal connection after he made that comment. And he tells us the story very well about how others were going up to talk at the Jalsa and they had speeches written out there were politicians and he said mm. you know I just got up and spoke from the heart and you're right he said that he was a he said I'm a shining example of your motto of love for all hatred for none because you invited me a Jewish man to talk on a Christian relic at a Muslim event yeah yeah and and what you mentioned about the the kind of the I don't know what it is anxiety the first time you invited these guests yeah. uh, to come and talk about the shroud and and even setting their expectations but then having his holiness mention it in his sermon uh, you know once yeah. once his holiness mentions something about Jelsa. I mean, everybody flocks to that that part of Jalsa, don't they? I want to also mention His Holiness took time out of his schedule to actually come to the exhibition yeah. and speak to the guests as well. He spoke to Barry, he spoke to Pam. And, it, you know, we talk about how as members of the Ahmadiyya community, we're obviously moved whenever we have a, any sort of audience with His Holiness. But seeing 
members outside how they were touched by by getting a, just a few minutes to speak to him was really special and in the subsequent years as well they've had a chance to meet his holiness one to one and and have conversations with him um and you know he thanked i remember him personally thanking pam for bringing the exhibition to the jalsa and yeah that will stick with her forever yeah yeah so obviously unfortunately because of the covid restrictions and all of that we we couldn't have those guests here but i know our the review of religions team is constantly in touch with yeah. them um i mean any any communication with them was there a plan to maybe have them this year and then it was canceled or, or what what happened this yeah, year yeah so the, the, this year we're trying to avoid having to like things are on a smaller scale and the number of guests we invite etc is a bit is is less so we the review of religions have got more of an internal exhibition talking mm. about the history of the review etc where this exhibition is really useful is it it's a really good thing for our guests to come and uh, look at because they're often exhibitions you know ancient artifacts as well from other religions appeared as well at the normal full-fledged review of religions if you like exhibition so um because of that we didn't do it this year we're hoping we can you know repeat this again because it was actually repeated you know a number of times i think it was uh you know five just under five times that we ran it from 2015 yeah. to 2019 inclusive and so we've had the you know, number of years where we've done this did did the did the level of interest over those four or five years increase or stay about the same or what, what did you find? Not only did it increase, but the level of questioning from yeah. the audience, particularly the ladies. We had one of our experts come and say, "Your ladies asked some phenomenal questions, mm. some really thoughtful questions." Um, and the level of guest that we've been able to invite has also grown as well. So once the first year was a relative success. Barry was a fantastic supporter of ours. He was able to invite additional experts in the world of the Shroud. So we've had people like Emanuela Manonelli, who's an Italian author, written about the, the Shroud. And also a highlight I want to mention is uh, Bruno Barberis came here. Now, Bruno Barberis effectively, you know, was our way, is our link to Turin, really. You know, he is the former president of the Scientific Committee of the International Center of Syndology of Turin. And he's also the vice president on the confraternity of the Holy Shroud of Turin. So Bruno, having him here was a real, you know, a real statement, really, a real blessing for us. And I just want to read an email that he sent us. So he couldn't be here this year that, we, as we mentioned, our guests couldn't. But we did email them with links to where they could see the events on uh, on uh, YouTube. And I just want to read a, a quick email message from Bruno, which he said, um, this was addressed to Amir Safir, the, ch- the chief editor of the review. He said, Dear Amir, many, many thanks for your email. I am very happy that the Jalsa Salana UK started yesterday and was able to see an increasing participation of the faithful, even if, unfortunately, it has not yet been possible to reach the numbers of 2019 and previous years. I attended the inauguration and inspection, and I think he means via YouTube here, uh, and the inaugural address of His Holiness, and I felt a poignant and deep nostalgia for the wonderful experience of the Jalsa in which I took part for many years. I wish you and the whole Ahmadiyya community three days full of profound climate of faith and prayer. Please send my warmest regards to His Holiness, to all of our brothers and sisters of the Ahmadiyya community, in particular to Arif, Navida and Malik, in the hope of being able to meet again all together next year around the Shroud and its message. God bless you and the whole Ahmadiyya community. Bruno. A complete stranger, I mean, a few years ago Absolutely. to the community, no link whatsoever, attended the Jalsa for a few years. And this year he couldn't come in person because of COVID restrictions. But... He 
considers himself a participant, which is beautiful. Incredible. Through through YouTube or through MTA, however he managed to watch it, he specifically mentioned in his email that I participated in. Exactly. And I found that absolutely amazing. Arif, you got some other other comments as well, right? Yeah. Obviously, I mean, we're the community is now good friends with Barry, and you mentioned some of the highlights that that Barry mentioned about the community. I'm sure he misses it. Did he have anything Absolutely. to say? And I should say, we won't have a chance to get to all of the emails, but every member we commented on came back with some prayers for the Jalsa. So thanks to all of you. Uh, I'm not, I know they'll be listening. <laughs> so let me talk about Barry's message as well. He said, Dear Amr and Arif and all of our friends of the Ahmadiyya community, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, thank you for the update. I'm very happy to hear Jalsa will take place this year, even if on a limited basis. I am hopeful that next year a full event can be permitted so we can all get together as in the past after attending Jalsa for five years in a row from 2015 to 2019. I truly miss seeing all of you and look forward to doing so next year. Please send my warmest regards to His Holiness and to all our brothers and sisters of the Ambia community with love, respect and prayers for a successful Jalsa, Barry. That's a, that's a heartwarming, heartfelt message from Barry Schwartz, uh, indeed. Uh, you know, we miss you, Barry, if you're listening. Uh, we look forward to having you back uh, again very, very soon at the UK Annual Convention. And then there's a there's a final message uh, from from another guest. Or if you want yeah, to let's see if we can squeeze this in. So Pam Moon, who owns the replica, she said she mentions that she echoes the comments in the other other emails from Manuela and Barry. They've expressed their feelings very well. It's been a joy and a privilege to come to the Jalsa. <laughs> And we hope we can all meet here in the future. Have a lovely weekend. God bless, Pam. I also want to mention as well, from their point of view, from Pam's point of view, it's been a great blessing to say, look, mm-hmm. look at the way God opened up a way for us to be able to attend, you know, the uh, a Muslim convention and bring our message of the Shroud to a Muslim community. So they see it as a, a great blessing on their side as well. So it's been one of those things. I think the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said that there will be blessings and things that will happen at Jalsa yeah. that we don't know yet. We haven't foreseen yet. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this is one thing where we couldn't have planned this. The way it all came together, people on all sides believe this is something that you know had divine help behind it and we're seeing the blessings yeah. of that to, to go back a little bit or if uh, just just to spend a minute or so on this i mean the initial research for the whole you know idea of jesus on the cross and whether he died or not you know that was all started by his his holiness mirza ghulam ahmed of Qadian, wasn't absolutely it? absolutely and i think one thing i want to emphasize is we don't the shroud is a mystery mm. whether it proves whether Jesus survived or died is hotly debated. Yeah. Some say it proves he survived. Some say it proved he died. Some say it shows evidence of a miraculous resurrection. So we don't have the answer here. And it's in that spirit of searching for knowledge, asking questions and trying to see all sides of an argument. That's what brings everyone together at the, you know, at the Jalsa. So our, some of our experts are strong, deep Catholics, right? They won't, they, they will believe in the traditional view of Hazrat Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him. Yet they are able to come to the Jalsa and come yeah. to the exhibition because we welcome people with all, from all backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, indeed, a, a great exhibition. If you haven't checked it out and you're coming to Jalsa, uh, be sure to visit the Revere of Religions exhibition this year. I mean, I, I walked in there yesterday and there's a nice timeline of the history of yeah. the Revere of Religions. And it's such a historic magazine, so much content there and so much on display that even without the shroud that we miss this year, there's still so much information to see. Um, but but yeah, it's just been fantastic 
day and a half so far of the 56th annual convention here at the 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 UK uh, Hampshire countryside where we are broadcasting live here on the Voice of Islam Radio. You are listening to the Pathway to Peace with Arif Khan and myself, Sufyan Faruqi. It's it's been a pleasure uh, over the last few hours in this hot studio. Any final thoughts or comments? Time's gone quickly. It's wonderful to be back at Jalsa, and you know we hope that we've been able to bring some of the atmosphere from the the gathering to those who are unable to to attend. Uh, and you know we look forward to speaking to you soon on the Pathway to Peace show on Voice of Islam. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Stay tuned for more fantastic programming and content here on The Voice of Islam Radio.